You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Welcome to the X-Man Podcast. I'm your host, Doc Coyle. Thank you for tuning in, downloading, listening on SoundCloud, wherever you check out the show. It is always much appreciated. Uh, I want to thank everyone who listened and contributed to our last episode, which was a Q&A where I took questions from people online. And that was, that was a lot of fun. It was different. You know, and it's uh, hopefully, you know, maybe we'll do something like that again down the line. So that was really enjoyable. I was trying to fill a little space so we didn't run uh, too long without having a show. Uh, and now I'm, I'm really, you know, I have some free time. So I'm really trying to pile up the guests. Uh, we have a great show today. Um, we're going to be talking to Brandon Shepetti uh, from Bleeding Through, ex singer of Bleeding Through, ex. 18 Visions band member, um, really compelling guy. We're going to get into that in a minute. But before that, want to talk about a few things. Uh, first off, there's been, I guess, some drama <laughs> in the in internet sphere, you know, between Bad Wolves, uh, one of my new bands, and, you know, Westfield Massacre, which is Tommy's old band, and uh, Tommy and, and Five Finger Death Punch. There's just a lot of you know, kind of internet weirdness and craziness and a lot of back and forths and conjecture and rumors and, and all that stuff. And I, I just want to say, I'm going to tell y'all what I tell other people, you know, and it's basically a line I stole from Will Smith on The Fresh Prince. And it's, that's between ya and huh, not ma. <laughs> Which is basically a way of saying, I really don't want any, any part of anyone else's drama, uh, to be honest. I'm, you know, very much about the task at hand, about maintaining positivity and, you know, and really uh, surrounding myself with, with people I like and endeavors I enjoy pursuing. So, you know, if you, you want to know, you want some dirt, you want me to talk shit on somebody, I'm not doing any of that stuff as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I like everybody. I'm not mad at anybody. And your boy, Doc Coyle, is staying the fuck out of it. So <laughs> I just wanted to kind of bring that up real quick. I'm I'm not going to make this intro too long. I want to get into our talk with Brandon. But before I do, I want to talk a little bit about my other band 
Vegas Nerve. So uh, this is a band I started a couple of years back. Very, you know, a passion project. Uh, something I, I, you know, I love the guys in the band a lot different from God Forbid and some of the other more heavy bands I've I've uh, been a part of. And uh, so with this band, you know, even though it's a passion project, something I don't do full time, I really want to keep it going and, and keep doing things. So we shot a music video for the so song uh, called Promise Me the World. Um, and it's coming out on Monday. Uh, well that, that'll be June 19th. So I figured I'd play the song on here for, for those who haven't heard the band yet. And this is like probably about, about as metal as the band gets, you know, it's a, it's a higher energy track. But yeah, that, that video will be coming out Monday. And if you haven't heard our EP, it's called Visceral. You know, it's on Spotify, Apple Music. You can buy it uh, straight from the band at VegasNerveBand.com if you like the song. But uh, anyway, I'm going to show this to you real quick. Check it out. This place is not a home. This place is just a tomb. It's the tomb of the king. He took everything. We built him a temple and he locked us in.
have it. That song is called Promise Me the World. And be on the lookout for the video, which should be out this Monday, June 19th. Uh, something I should also announce, we are doing a couple of shows in the Northeast mm -hmm. in my home area. Right now we have booked August 4th, which is a Friday night at Dingbats in Clifton, New Jersey. So all my New Jersey people, you better come out. And the day after that, that Saturday, August 5th, we'll be playing in Philadelphia at Whiskey Tango. We are still putting the lineups together for those shows. And we're looking to do a New York show uh, somewhere in Manhattan or Brooklyn or something like that um, on one of those surrounding days too. But it was really important for us to, you know, release some music, do a couple shows and, you know, we'll see what happens down the line, but it's definitely something I really enjoy doing and I'm excited to get to do some gigs with those guys. So spread the word. I hope to see you guys. Now onto our talk with Brandon Schipetti. Uh Known this guy a very long time. It's actually really great to catch up and kind of have someone who, you know, comes from the same world, you know, and, and kind of we, we have these references that go back to this underground, independent, hardcore scene. And, you know, I just don't have that many people in my life, you know, that I can make certain, you know, make this particular band reference or talk about this stuff. You know, we, you know, only a few of us really got to experience that firsthand. And, you know, Brandon is just a really impressive guy. Um you know, he seems like one of those people who pretty much will have success in whatever endeavor he, he pursues. He has a, a kind of formidable type of determination and and will that uh, doesn't seem like you could you could stop it even if you tried. So I, I really appreciate him coming on the show. Um, I know how busy he is. And, you know, and for and, and I think I imagine for a band like God Forbid, uh, we probably shared a lot of fans and, you know, we definitely come from the same world. So I know this is exactly the type of guests that the listeners of the show want to hear from. So without further preamble, here is my old friend, Brandon Chappetti. on man thank you for uh being on the show no worries man thanks for having me you're you're one of the uh i'd say the the major gets you know or, or like my big kind of master list of of people <laughs> that no that's seriously like why, the reason why i i started this show like i think in in many ways the the concept behind uh the x-man show almost started probably the you know the day after Kamira broke up yeah and i had just seen them like literally like a week before that and then I wrote this article called This is the End, you know, and kind of it was very like my visceral, uh, you know, like immediate um, feelings, you know, about what what had kind of happened between God forbid breaking up. Were you feeling like you're witnessing like an end of an era? Well, yeah, but it was like this kind of triumvirate because, like I said, we broke up 2013. Yeah. And when did Bleeding Through break up? 2013. 2013. And then Shadows Fall went on hiatus. I don't think they ever officially broke up. Yeah. And then Chimera. And it was like, to me, that was like, or I guess it wasn't triumphant. It was a quad umphant. <laughs> yeah, quad umphant. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but so I, I wrote that article. And to this day, it's still like the the most viewed article I ever wrote from my website. That's awesome. Um, but it touched a, a nerve and it kind of, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but it, it, um, 
described kind of the the philosophical mission statement behind the show, which is to figure out what happens to a generation of you know men and women involved in this scene when you know I you know I, where I think because there was so much of a, a relation between the the group of bands we came up with and like the thrash kind of movement right yeah, like it, totally it, it felt like this correlation between oh yeah we're the next the coming up of Metallica and Testament and Overkill and Exodus we felt this connection you could you could totally see it like that because you know the like the late 80s early 90s Bay Area movement of all those bands and like you throw like you go to Texas and you grab a band like DRI that kind of had that like thrash kind of thing as well but that time frame it was kind of interesting because you could look back at that time frame and you started seeing Slayer videos on MTV yeah. and stuff like that for like Headbangers Ball. And you kind of saw like, you know, like Exodus and, you know, you throw Metallica and, and Megadeth in there. And just it, that whole scene was popping off a little bit more. You were seeing videos, you're seeing everything. And it was kind of like this, like, yeah, it was, it was the thrash era, but it produced bands like Metallica and Megadeth and anthrax and bands that kind of transcended that area that moved on to another level. I've actually thought about this before, how in about the early 2000s was kind of like the second wave of that, yeah. that like what you were talking about. And here's like the, here's the correlation between, you see like the thrash metal kind of started like underground and then it had the bigger bands that like went past it. And that's when it started, that's when like metal started getting on like radio stations like KNAC in Southern California, um, you know, MTV and like just just seeing videos you know what I mean it was mm -hmm. like it was kind of crazy so I kind of feel like punk in the 90s is what the 90s was all about it was all about like the pop punk era you know like what? blink 182 stuff like that and that kind of that kind of changed like the demographic on MTV as well and within pop culture and it was only a matter of time before some sort of like metal swung back around and what I noticed is that new metal knocked knocked the door no was knocking on the door you know what I mean? And that kind of... In a, in a big way. You totally. had huge bands. Yeah, big. You had huge new metal bands. Exactly. Like, so bands like, you know, like Korn and Coal Chamber and... Um, Slipknot. Slipknot. Lincoln you see Park. bands. Exactly. Bands that came through like around then. There was almost like this, that in a way, it helped bands like Bleeding Through and God Forbid. Even though when like Slipknot was kind of coming through and, and Coal Chamber, I went and remember saw Slipknot on their first tour. And uh, they played with, they opened up for Coal Chamber. And I remember I wasn't in Bleeding Through yet. I was playing guitar for 18 Visions still. But uh, I remember watching Slipknot at the time. And I said to myself, dude, like, this is going to happen for these younger <laughs> bands. Like, this is because here's this show that's fucking enormous. Here's this band that has breakdowns and is screaming into a microphone and has a more of a metal influence that I feel like it's gonna it's gonna open some doors for like smaller bands. No, I remember hearing it the first time I heard I think the I think I heard Spit It Out first, yeah. which I was like amp, but when I heard Sick, yeah. I was like, this sounds like a hardcore scene. Yeah, band. totally. Totally. And uh, it, the funny thing is about that, so I'm kinda I'm backtracking a little bit, but two thousand four Ozfest is really the thing that broke it. That yeah. that was like the second coming of like the thrash era metal, more traditional metal bands. Like the new metal stigma was done. Ozfest a couple years before that was all new metal bands. 2004, it actually turned into like metal, 
slash hardcore it was a, bands. It was a revival yeah. of, of a more... Underground metal movement, yeah. and that's what kind of the, the, the thrash metal thing was. Because, you know, bands like Cold Chamber were signed like by a major label like that. You know what I mean? So, um, But it was kind of like a, a new wave of the underground metal, you know? And then there was bands that were from that that broke off to transcend it. You have bands like, you know, Kill Switch Engage and... I guess Hatebreed, you throw into that mix and you throw Lamb of God in that mix. And you could, and for me, honestly, you could throw Avenged Seven, you know this, yeah. you could throw Avenged Sevenfold in that mix. Um, you know, both of our bands have toured with Avenged Sevenfold when they were trying to play in front of your fans. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's, <laughs> listen, we, we're, we're going to get in, in, into all this, but the, the reason why I made that uh, relation was that I think the, the the difference between the thrash era and our era is that there was a the bubble was a lot bigger yeah. right so you could have a band like anthrax you know and and people don't remember like there were lean years for anthrax where they they were not selling out venues and they were not selling records but they had come off gold records yeah. oh, dude, i saw them play the key club in la and it wasn't even sold out yeah so that's what i'm saying like like but our bands, the peak for a lot of us was never that big. So when things kind of had a downturn, I think a lot of us did have to look in the mirror and figure oh. out, all right, what the hell are we going to do? Absolutely. You know, so it was like this kind of this this sobering realization that that all of us were having around around the same time. But that's you know, but anyway, that's that's what I'm saying. In, in many ways, because of that, you're you're kind of on like the Mount Rushmore of, of some of the guests, you know. I'm on the Mount Rushmore of the bands that never quite got there. No, no, I'm saying I'm saying the people <laughs> I'm that... I'm just joking, man. That, no, but the, the people that I think what the, that represent what this show is kind of about. Yeah, you know, because, cool. Because I think, because you have certain people, right, who will leave X band, and then they just kind of keep going. They start a new band, they just keep going on. But you're a guy who, even though you're still doing music... You went in this whole other direction, yeah, um, and I that's did. and that to me is almost just as fascinating, and, and sometimes more because I think one thing I've learned about myself, you know, even the fact that this show even exists is the idea that I realize there's more out there besides just music. You know, and kind of the reason why I kind of went in the different direction of into the fitness industry is because it was like the second passion for me the whole way through, like playing music. And I kind of saw it being like this underground, new underground movement. It was kind of weird. Like I saw it from an outside perspective and be like, I could make this, I could help make this like cool. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and I can make this more acceptable for people like me. Yeah. And, and, and you also have, you know, you being a personality that has an audience and people you could reach to. Totally. You I, actually could, could yeah. get to a market, you know, so to speak, that perhaps wasn't being served or catered yeah. to in the way that you could uh, and, communicate. And and a, a huge thing of reason why I didn't like stay in music after, uh, you know, kind of decided to pump the brakes on bleeding through. Um, I managed bands for a while in like the mid 2000s all the way to about 2010. And I actually had like some great bands like Let Live, All Shall Perish, For the Fallen Dreams, Lionheart, Straight From The Path, like real bands, you yeah. know what I mean? And, I, didn't, I didn't know that you yeah, managed. And it, I, I was doing pretty well kind of finding these bands and helping these bands get like, get going. And then eventually I was like, this is killing the rest of music for me because now I'm on this side of it yeah. and I'm seeing the way that music actually really works. 
and I fucking hate it. Yeah. Well, and so it was, it was weird for me. So when I decided that, okay, let's look into something else. What are you as passionate about? And I said, well, fitness is that thing I'm passionate about. And I decided to go to that. And a lot of it, I mean, honestly, a lot of it was, I reached a certain level with bleeding through. I was very proud of with the band and not, I mean, we reached levels that I didn't even think was possible. And it took everything out of me when it was around the time where I kind of had to like start thinking about life after. And so in opportunities, there's opportunities there to like do bands with other people. People were reaching out and saying, hey, you know, if, if Bleeding Through is gonna be done, like come come sing with me in this new project. And so a lot of stuff that never even happened, but I literally had to say to people, I don't think this band's gonna be as big as Bleeding Through. Not that I wouldn't do it because of that, but I don't have the fucking energy to grind like that again. Yeah. Like I don't, like I just don't have that energy to go out there and make it a daily and hourly and minutely. Well, it's, it's all, it's <laughs> type it, thing. I, I think that, you know, one thing we can kind of re relate to it being kind of similar in age and also having a band, um, start from that that point of like nothingness right yeah. like where you're literally like all right this you know and, and i guess in, in some respects bleeding through had a a leg up just being that you were in 18 visions who had a name and you were coming from this scene that kind of uh had its own brand mm -hmm. i guess associated with it so uh but even with that you're still starting from scratch and to see something that starts from nothing and all of a sudden it becomes an actual thing that mm -hmm. people care about and you're selling records and you're selling concert tickets and all of a sudden people don't you know when you're doing that in your mid-20s it is everything yeah it is the, every everything else is kind of background noise totally to what you have to do and the level of commitment to just kind of put the blinders on put your head down and just go forward and and to have almost a maybe not a blind faith because I, th I think in, in many ways coming from the hardcore scene, at least where we were, like a big band to me was like vision of disorder. Totally. It was like they could draw 500 people. <laughs> yeah. Like it was, it was like they're on Roadrunner Records. Yeah. And I assumed they were just like. That's the pinnacle. Living in it. You yeah. know, that, but, but, but the idea that that was a band or we had a. And then, you, and then your band gets to that level or above that level and you're like, man, this is still tough. Yeah, well, that's, well, <laughs> I was, you know, um, I had people tell, say this to me. And when it actually happened, it became so clear. And they're like, people think, you know, local bands, when you're coming up that, oh, when you get a record deal, man, it's just, it's easy, man. You get a manager, you get everything's easy. Like, no, that's Shit. when the work starts. Yeah. Is, is essentially actually, or what I've noticed, the bigger the band is, the more work there is. Yeah. The more press, the more uh, you have to, all right, we're working with these designers to figure out these uh, merchandise designs. Yeah. All right, we have to coordinate this marketing and all. You know, it's like there's so much, especially if you are the 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 dude in the band. Exactly. 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 I know yeah. you're kind of like the second manager, and that's one thing that like when I was when Bleeding Through was at its biggest. I mean, that was a full daily full time job for me, even not on tour. Like just doing interviews and going over like merch ideas and stuff like that was and just logistics, yeah. booking flights, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, uh, figuring out your tour budgets, yeah, dude. um, doing all that stuff. So, so I kind of want to talk about back in the day, like when we, when we met. So yep. I don't know if you remember when we met, but I do. And it mushroom was, head. Yep. So there was a tour. It was mushroom head, lamb of God, 18 visions, visions and was 5.0. 
Bob was the band, yeah, 5.0. 5.0, right? So, and it was this kind of cool thing, because I think around that, around that time, this was, I think, 2001 or 2002. It was my last full tour of the 18 Visions. I believe it was... I believe it was November 2001. Yeah, something, yeah, something like something that. Something like that. And, um, but it was this kind of cool thing, like, back then when you were a quote-unquote scene band. Yeah. <laughs> where, like, you know, because things were so regional back then. Like, it really was, like, a blockade yes. between contact and, like, seeing a band from California yes. was, like, a r- rare occasion. I'm sure vice versa, seeing a band from the Northeast was like a special totally. deal when a band would travel and do, you know, cause back then a lot of times the hardcore bands would literally just go to the West coast and maybe do four or five shows and drive straight yeah, back. Totally. You know? And you know, the middle of America, there wasn't so many spots back then. You know what I mean? Like I remember when Colorado Denver first started having like shows and that was like, <laughs> wasn't until like 94, 95, you know, like it was just, it was slow getting to there, so it was hard to book that area. So yeah, you would only see certain bands at certain times. Yeah, but it was. But the the thing that was cool about it, about that um, that moment meeting you, was that because we were, even though we were separated by uh, three thousand miles physically, the fact that a, a band can make a little noise and then yep. you meet someone, you have this kind of like uh, mutual admiration society. Like, totally. oh, what's up, man? Yep. And like, I know your band, you know my band, and you you have this respect out, out the gate and, and then you of, have something in common right away too it's, so it's a little bit easier to like talk to people you know what i mean yeah so. but that, no but i thought i you know it was like the first time i saw the band and i just remember remember james did the did the harley <laughs> the harley's you listen you're shaking your head i <laughs> thought it was the coolest fucking thing it was pretty cool ever because here's the thing it you know, and this is, to me, the legacy of 18 Visions, and I could be wrong, um, you know, being that I, I wasn't exactly there for the inception yeah. or to see how the band grew organically in person. So this yeah. is kind of like outsider looking in, especially like, you know, essentially that was the point when 18 Visions kind of became a thing. And totally. Was, so, but, so just my, my perspective was that, you know, rock and roll swagger was not really... I don't say it wasn't allowed in the scene, but it certainly was not something that people embraced. Like, oh, we fucking forced it, man. <laughs> you know? So, so I I loved it because it was just so different. Yeah, and it also was kind of counterintuitive to the way the band sounded yep. because the way the band sounded, the people that were probably really into the band were like the tough guys. Mm-hmm. So, is this weird dichotomy? You know, of, it was like, super heavy and stuff. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It'd be like if you know, like remember the, that picture of Slayer where they're wearing like makeup. It's almost, oh, like, yeah. it's almost like if Slayer would have kept wearing glam makeup, but if, sounded if Slayer like Slayer. would have kept looking like Poison. But sounded like Slayer. Yeah. You know, it, it was it was this, this 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 weird thing, and and then obviously after that, you guys kind of, you know, I, who who coined the term fashion core? Uh, that wasn't us. Okay. That was uh, that's that's kind of interesting because that was kids from I believe I believe I could be completely wrong. But I believe that a few kids from Long Island coined that. Like a, like, a, we like, had, a, like a zine or like a journalist or like something? Like these kids that were friends with that band From Autumn to Ashes yeah. um, coined it and started making like shirts and shit and yeah. selling them. And it was weird because then... Did it just say Fashion Core? It, it just said Fashion Core. Okay. And then everybody, we, we'd come places and we go places and people would be like, oh, you're like... I'm not into like fashion core though. And I'm like, what, what the fuck is fashion core? (laughs) 
oh, like you guys, what fashion core? Like, and I remember even when Bleeding Through started, people were like, you guys are just another fashion core band. I'm like, have you seen my band? Like, we're ugly as fuck. Like, what do you mean we're fashion core? Like, it was just like, it was interesting. But yeah, we didn't even coin that term. Well, no, but and we kind of went with it a little bit because we're like, well, fuck it. If that's what, fuck it. I mean, we are pretty fashionable. We do play hardcore. And sure, if everybody so, wants to put like, you know, things together like that. So you have to address um, a urban legend okay. <laughs> that spread to the East Coast. And it was the, like the lore of this, this, this fashion core band was that every, the, all the guys in 18 Visions are hairstylists when they're not in the band. This was a, is, it, is, there, is there any truth to this urban legend? Yes, there is. Okay, so uh, when, when there was a certain point when James, James is a hairstylist still. And that's like his day, that's his day job. And he kills it and he's very successful. He's really good. Um, he he's, was, a, was a stylist. Javier was our bass player at the time. He was a stylist. And at the time I was in school to be a stylist. So wow. four out of five. Listen. Or three out of five. Three out maybe of five. it should have been style core. <laughs> style core. Or hair. Hair, hair core. Hair. No, but we so heard so much fucking weird shit. Like we would go places and we heard the hair core. And what's funny is like the first time we ever like went to the East Coast, like people, it, like you said, it was like kind of like it didn't make sense. Like here's this band that looked like fashionable, like for real. Like we had our hair done. We were wearing like not fucking cargo pants. Like we had like jeans on and like nice T-shirts and stuff. And we were playing this heavy fucking shit. And people clowned us for it at first. They're like, well, what's this? And like they didn't. It's because they just didn't know. And then next time we came through. Every fucking motherfucker looked like yeah, that. Yeah, so but that but I think that's the interesting thing about it is that it wasn't contrived. Yeah. It wasn't like you guys had this grand plan. It's like we will do this and then it will create this. No, that and, was really just us. No, I know that's what I'm that's that's exactly what I'm saying. And then so I remember you were the first person I ever saw with a faux hawk. <laughs> right? Yeah, man. And <laughs> and and to me when you kind of take that kind of thing, what you guys were doing, um, hair wise and then even like really good good tattoo work yeah. like full sleeves because a lot of hardcore people would have tattoos but a lot of it would be shitty yeah shitty work you know so even like like having like nicer tattoos and like in a sense like exactly what you said like this thing that was started in this one little like one area of the country yeah from a small maybe three or four bands that in a sense became the proto look for I guess the kind of the warp tour it totally section is. of the hardcore scene where it's like that yeah. you know that is just a de facto like oh this is what a scene kid quote unquote looks totally. like and like even the second part the second wave through that was when you know even like when bleeding through started going to the east coast and we were wearing like fucking all black and makeup and people were just like fucks this and it was the same deal it's like next time we came through it was like everybody looked like that well, yeah, well the, well, the thing was with Bleeding And I started doing the makeup thing, like, in 18 Visions. And then I'm like, well, fuck it. It's going to carry over to, to Bleeding Through. <laughs> well, that's so. it. But I think with Bleeding Through, it, it took on this new, like, uh, goth aesthetic. A total goth look, yeah. Um, and then, you know, kind of, you know, you, you guys would, like, rep, you know, the Misfits yep. and Danzig and kind of bring that world. It's called, in, it's called Dude Goth. Dude Goth? Yeah. <laughs> 
So it's like guys that look like gothic, but watch football on Sundays. Yeah, it's no, I'm saying it's, 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 it, it is kind of this, the, the, the um, I don't know, to me, it's like the precursor to the, all these cultural movements, whether yeah. it's, um, you know, obviously even like working out wasn't necessarily fashionable. Things no, like CrossFit yeah. and MMA, you know, and this kind of, and I, and I, what I imagine you can kind of like tell me or not that there is obviously something that has to do with the Southern California active lifestyle mm-hmm. that is just natural to this area, whether that's, you know, working out or surfing or, or, you know, volleyball. I don't know. You know, you, you can know, tell you me. You know what it is? Um, you know, it truly is kind of the land of competition. Um, it's just a fast paced moving part of the world. And, you know, people think that California is like super laid back, but I mean, you live here now. It's not. This place isn't laid back at all. This place fucking busts their ass what? I all think, day. I, I think by by I think by comparison <laughs> to to the uh, the grind that is New York yeah. or Boston or or Philadelphia, I, I think the whatever it is, I think just having a little more space. Yeah. And having it be a little sunnier, yeah, and a little warmer, and having like, like I said, the, I, I, I think you know it's probably costs about the same to live here as it does live in New York or Boston, uh, but the quality of life is just kind of like, a little bit bigger, a, a, a little, little bit. bit you got a little more space, yep. it's a little nicer, and that allows you to relax a totally. little more. Just it as, definitely as, is more relaxed, but but I, I know what you're saying. It, it is like the way I look at it. L.A. is all about hustlers totally it's it, and it's a the, hustle state and the people that persevere are the ones that do not get caught up in chilling because yeah. the thing is you can you know you can get a kind of whatever decent middle class job and be comfortable and it's cool yeah. and just chill and it's fine and there's nothing wrong with that but if you're the type of person that says well i'm not you know i can basically do that anywhere yeah i'm here to do do something bigger more. bigger things the and, opportunities and, there yeah and that's and, you know that's and that's kind of that's kind of like why here you know like in huntington beach where we are right now where my gym is we there's the most gyms in the city for compared to any other city in the world like yeah. for real like for real and this area and i think it's why a lot of bands spawned from this area at once like you know you look at a, just like a core group of bands that grew up at the same time around the same area we're all friends Atreyu 18 Visions Bleeding Through Throwdown Avenged Sevenfold Thrice like you look at all those bands and you're like all those bands are pretty successful I don't think with without the other band we wouldn't have done that I think that we had like this not not like ill-willed competition but there was friendly competition between all of our bands whether we wanted to admit it or not um, but I think that's what drove our bands to like try to succeed and really like go and, and do it. And when you're talking about like we have the extra time to like work out or the more space, we all that was just part of it. Like we all said, you know, we're going to fucking be we're going to try to outdo the next band. Yeah, well, like, I did. But I'm pretty sure Straight Edge had a lot to, you know, those things were correlated. Oh, totally. Because, you know, I, the way I look at it. If you are straight edge, especially on tour, yeah. where there's a lot of downtime. Oh, dude, that's you, why I started. <laughs> you were able to basically utilize that time to put, you know, to something positive. Yeah. And it's something we got a guest. That's Mick. What's going on? <laughs> we met before, right? I think so. You look super familiar. Yeah. You guys have either, met. either we met or you look exactly like someone else. I'm always hanging out with him. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, the, um, it's, it's just a, it's a, there was a lot of downtime. <laughs> it was funny. Here's here's the difference of like time. When I was on tour, like in in uh, 
you know, let's just say Warp Tour we did in 04, or 04, or we did Ozfest 04. Let's talk then. When I was working out on tour then, there was maybe like four other people working out and a bunch of people walking by with beer going like, yeah, fucking 12 I would, ounce girls. I would work out yeah. with, uh, what's his name from uh, Throwdown? Uh, ben. Ben. Ben, ben Dussel. But, but, so, but I was, you know, I was like n not as ripped as you guys or as like, I actually, I'll say this. I actually started working out um, after Ozfest. Cause yeah. I, I, uh, the girlfriend I met after that really got me into, into working out. So I kind of, I didn't really know much about working out. And I was, and it's, I think it's hard sometimes too. You're intimidated when people are in really good totally. shape and you're like, you know, you just feel kind of inferior, inferior unless they're in that, like thing that was great about Ben though, is he would show me things. Totally. He like, was a good teacher. Yeah. Like, you know, so it was. So the crazy thing is, is like, so back then, you know, we did it and not many people were working out. And then fast forward to last year where my company went on warp tour to be like the tour trainers. And so we had a backstage, we called it the backstage battleground. And Rise Fitness was backstage. We had our equipment. We did some, we did three sessions a day for groups, like group training stuff. And it was awesome, but it's crazy to see like back then, nobody was really into it. And now it's such a daily regiment for most bands that tour. Like working yeah. out's definitely a part of it, which is really cool for me to see. You gotta see Travis, I mean, I Travis hope... from Darkest Hour. No, he, he's fucking- he's, He looks like yeah. CGI. And I don't, I don't it, like, but he'll literally, he'll work out anywhere. Like they'll literally be, they'll be like a four by four like thing, and he'll he'll and he literally will buy weights. Yeah, this a weight set for the uh, European tour, and then just leave it there. Yeah, <laughs> like that's, awesome. that's how that and, and he'll so he'll work out, and he's like he's completely like just abs. Yeah, he's and ripped. looking crazy, and then just eat like McDonald's. And I'm like I don't understand. Like we're working with different. Well, he was saying, oh, it's like ectomorph. He's an ectomorph. Yeah. So he could just eat whatever the fuck he wants. He's going to be lean as long as he kind of works out. But he's not, he's ripped, but he's like bulky. It's yeah. not like he's like, you know, just like kind of all He looks like the dude playing Superman when Superman's in his costume. Yeah. And you could see like, he's <laughs> fucking really just jacked, but still has like abs. He, when I was watching him play drums uh, in LA, I was literally watching him like, he looks like Superman. <laughs> he actually does look a lot like that he actor. He does, dude. He now, does. Now that, now that you think about it, see, see, Travis. You know, you're you're wasting your time in a band when you can be in like Avengers. Or you can just wear four. a cape when you play drums. <laughs> so I kind of want to um, go back a little bit. So what? Um, you so you are an X Man, also of of eighteen visions. Mm -hmm. What kind of clued you into tr transitioning from? 18 visions into uh bleeding, bleeding through. through i never wanted to be a singer like ever that was like for sure i've battled with like um i battled with bipolar since i was 14 and guitar helped me be able to deal with being around big groups of people because my guitar was my force field yeah you have and something so in front it was, of you it was so. something in front of me i could put myself in the same in like this this sort of like bubble and just fucking jam out right and so I'm like, I could do this music thing, which I want to do. Like, I love music and I want to play and I'm passionate about it. It's like, I think about it daily. It was my life. And so that was my one way of being in a, in a band was guitar. Um, I like, I love, let's see. I loved playing in 18 Visions because it was like my first band that I like, I played in that was like a real band. But then it turned into more of like a like. I joined, I joined uh, Throwdown during the time of playing in 18 visions, I played guitar for throwdown and I liked that as well. Cause it was fun, but it wasn't really my thing. I wasn't mm -hmm. really like more like just like a 
basic or more basic hardcore. I liked more metal and I liked more eclectic and more. I liked. So did you? I liked you, New Jersey sound. I liked Dead Guy and I yeah. liked For the Love of and I liked those fucking bands. Yeah, and more I was like evil and evil sounding chords and shit. And I never like we were talking before we went on air. I never learned how to play guitar from anybody really. So. I would experiment with chords just to be like, okay, this is kind of cool. This sounds fucking rad. So what transitioned me was, um, I know 18 visions wanted to go more, uh, more rock and roll, which I was okay with at first. Um, but I had to fill in for a show for throwdown in Southern California. And I'm like, fuck, I got to fill in singing for the, for throwdown. This is gonna be, it was fun. It was like one of the fun, most fun I've ever had in my well, life. How did they know you could sing? Just, you would just take the mic every now and again yeah, and do some shit. Pretty much. So I did it, and because uh, Keith had another show with uh, Adamantium, and so I sang, and Scott Dano saw the show and was like, "Dude, we're starting a band, and you're gonna <laughs> sing." And I'm like, "Fuck no, man! I'll play guitar, but like, I don't want to sing." And he's like, "Dude, just 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 try," and I'm like, "Okay." So he wrote some songs, and we found some good players. And we practiced a few times and I remember like bringing, bringing a friend to practice and he's like, dude, like this is pretty fucking sick. Like this sounds like a more like hardcore version of like suffocation. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, it kind of does. Is like, that before you had keyboards involved? Yeah. So that was before it. And, and the songs were a little bit more, they were a little bit more suffocation. I mean, we were, I was totally into more metal stuff. So it was we almost like deathcore before it deathcore. Total deathcore before deathcore because there wasn't keyboards. There was, uh, but the, uh, the way that Scott was riffing was very like, yeah, it was just really noted, like shit like that, which I'm like, that's fucking sick. And we played blast beats. And I remember like, we wrote a couple songs. I'm like, people aren't going to like this. Like there's no fucking drums. No, we had a Troy Bourne who was the drummer for a band called taken. Okay. Yeah. Not taken. Liam Neeson. Ray Harkin's taken. Ray Harkin's taken, not Liam Neeson's taken. So. Although if Liam Neeson sang for Taken, it might be kind of cool. Listen, <laughs> I don't have riffs, <laughs> but what, what I do, what have. I do have, is a particular set of skills. I can scream. <laughs> I don't want to scream, but I will. You will force me to scream. <laughs> um, so we started playing. Um, we got some good players, and, and we never played a show. But you didn't. You didn't write any any riffs. I didn't write riffs at first. I left, and which was awesome. I'm like, this is sick. I got to show up and like just write like lyrics. And I, I always wrote lyrics because it helped me deal with my depression and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, showcase theater called me and cause 18 visions was going to play a show at showcase with Martyr AD. It's the first time Martyr AD came to California. Hard band. Yeah, dude, that first show. Oh my God. Um, and they needed another opener. So the promoter was like, dude, like what about your other band bleeding through? And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. So I called all the guys in Bleeding Through, and they're like, yes, let's do it. So How many jumped, songs did you have at that point? Three and a half. <laughs> what did you like? Covers? Or? I'm not joking you, man. We just played a whole we set We decided twice. to add another uh, measure of a part, and I just freestyle, like, scream into a microphone. Yeah. And that was it. Cool, whatever. And I remember after that show, people were like, dude, like, do you have a demo? Do you have a CD? And, like, people were, like, into it, and they were like, moshing and shit and i'm like this is kind of cool so i was like well maybe we should like play more shows and like do a demo so we did a demo played it we played another show people bought the fucking shit out of the demos we played a third show um at chain reaction opening for somebody and i can't remember who i think it was phobia um 
sold more demos. The fourth show, we headlined Chain and it was sold out. <laughs> and so, I'm like, that's fucking awesome. And people were singing the lyrics to the songs. I'm like, this is pretty fucking and at cool. At this point, you had what, five songs? We literally had five songs. <laughs> we played five songs and we covered an integrity song called, uh, the song was No One, which was like a minute and a half long. Wow. Um, Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind, uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh revisiting classic material talking about the new classics um all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that that you either love want to love or hate yeah imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that that uh has impacted your life uh and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week so triangulate your speaker's Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind podcast. And I just kind of remember being like, I need to work on myself being on stage in front of people singing, but I love this. Yeah. And like I said, like at the time, I liked playing for 18 Visions and I liked playing for Throwdown. So I cut Throwdown uh, because. Keith decided not to sing in Throwdown anymore. And they actually asked me to sing for Throwdown. And then it was like, now I'm in a conundrum. Now it's like, I play guitar for 18 Visions. I sing for Bleeding Through. And I'm being asked to sing for Throwdown. And I decided no on that. Um, Dave ultimately became the singer. And shortly after that, after doing a first tour with Bleeding Through, where we toured with uh, Every Time I Die and Norma Jean, the first time they called themselves Norma Jean. Before, was they were ludicrous before that? Yeah. That's going back. That's awesome. So they were ludicrous, and they changed the name to Norma Jean, and we did that tour, and it, you know, the shows weren't that big, but we had a few shows where it was like 350 people, and I was like, this is fucking, and they knew our songs. Where and, where was that tour? It was like national? Dude, tour? we did six and a half weeks in the States. Jesus Christ. Yeah, dude. 
Yeah. Maybe the shows weren't that big because y'all were playing like we played, Podunk. We played Chrome on that tour. Yeah, that was the biggest show. There was six hundred, but that was Chrome. Yeah, in the early two thousands, yeah, you could that, fart yeah. on a snare drum and draw six hundred. No, kids it was Chrome. listen. The I think that that kind of line between Long Island and New Jersey It was the best. Yeah, it was. It was, was the best. Pretty much the best. The, you know, one of the best scenes uh, in the in the in the in the country at the time. No, the first time I can't remember if the first. No, no, the first time I saw you was when you guys played with Under Oath. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was also at Chrome. That was in, with Unearth. In the little was under oath, oath. It was under oath. Us oh, and Unearth. Oh, but so. I I remember seeing you guys and being like, "Fuck, this <laughs> is no," because it felt it like was, a it felt like a new sound. Yeah, like and I because I think everyone else was, you know, especially us and Unearth and Dark Star, We all had these clear Scandinavian totally. influences. And then you guys, you know, bringing that black metal vibe, like it just—I don't remember any other bands. Like, maybe, didn't like old Under Oath have some black? Old metal? Old Under Oath had some black metal influence. And was that band like Undying? I know there's some. Undying. Like you know what? You know, I will say this: um, the bands that really kind of from the hardcore scene that had that crossover that really influenced Bleeding Through was um, Prayer for Cleansing. Yeah, Prayer for Cleansing. Um, that was the one too. Undying. There was, a, was that man in the, the day oh, of our Lord? Oh, no, or no, no, no. Um, day of suffering. Day of suffering. Okay. Which, my opinion, day of suffering was like I could put that record on right now, and I'll be like, "This is fucking sick." There were so many. There were so many. They were records. all from North Carolina. It was yeah. all that whole North Carolina thing. So on that tour that I was talking about, with every time I die in Norman Jean, we cycle back around. We play Showcase Theater in Corona, and there was about eight hundred people there. And the place was like going mental for bleeding through. And the dudes in 18 Visions were there because I was still in 18 Visions. And we went out back and we had a band meeting. And this was the time when Mick Morris was playing bass for bleeding through as well. Because we we're like, well, we're never going to tour at the same time. So whatever. And I remember the dudes in, in 18 Visions going, listen, dude, like we want to go this direction. Shows have never been this big for us here. Like this is fucking nuts. You got to go with it. And the same day. I was talking to Howard on the phone, Howard Jones on the mm -hmm. phone, and he was like, dude, you need to quit 18 Visions. Like, you got you to do Bleeding Through. And it was just kind of ironic that both people said that to me. Was Howard, groups. like, managing? No, we or? just we were just friends, you know what I mean? Like, because when Blood Has Been Shed came here for the first time, they stayed at our house, so we stayed really close. Um, and interesting, well, God, I'm some, like, bing, bing, bing off stories. It's but all good. It's that's all the good. thing about... <laughs> Uh, so I basically decided then and there I'm I'm gonna put all my eggs in the bleeding through basket and we're just gonna go for it, you know. And uh, what what year was that? That was 2002. Wow, was a what I've that's me. I guess it's it's so funny. I feel like I saw you with 18 Visions basically a year before that. Uh huh. But like I felt like back then a year was like five years. Totally. <laughs> like so much would happen that in my mind would would seem like all these events and it would happen in this kind of small yeah. frame of time and how, how much uh you know your kind of life would change. So so yeah, so I guess and then we then the tour we did was God forbid bleeding through Avenge Sevenfold. Yeah. Which, Shadows Fall. No no so all right so so Oh we started with Shadows Fall and then it ended No, no that's not what that's not what happened. Okay. It, tell so, me, so, tell so basically me the tour so this tour so this is kind of this infamous tour to, to for at least for god forbid's career because we we had done an entire touring cycle mm -hmm. on determination and did big tours you know and we felt like we had made an impact we had at that point we had sold maybe like twenty thousand records which back then was for a band like from us our genre yeah. was big and so we we felt like all right we had this nice resume of touring built up we had gone to all these markets 
and then we did like our first like kind of headline run it was like two two and a half weeks and then so that was the lineup but then shadows fall came on to headline maybe four of the shows but even with shadows fall and this is like i think it was this like spring 2002 or something like yeah. that Every show was like 50 people. Maybe 50. 100, 100 people. No, I tell the story too. I Yo. tell the story too. I'm like, dude, the li- that lineup, you, if you fast forward that lineup about three years, that sh- those shows are all Even one out. year. Even one, even one year, like Shadows Fall blew up yeah. literally in 2003. Right that, yeah. So, but it was really demoralizing for us because we felt we had done all this work and literally ble- bleeding through would be like outdrawing us. We were just kind of like that mysterious band at the time too no but it was but it, it was this thing where it kind of like you know then obviously you had the wrinkle of Avenged sevenfold opening up and they were a brand new band obviously people didn't really know them yeah. and and my my whole memory of that where i hear all these people talking about yeah man Avenged sevenfold used to be good i'm like nobody liked them i'm like no, i didn't think where they, were you back then well to me my whole thing was they seem like a band trying to be heavy yeah and they didn't sound, like to me they didn't sound good trying to be a metalcore band they sounded good when he sang totally and i was and um and it, but it was just it was just interesting to see cuz it's like all this kind of cross section of like you know the, like these point i don't know it's like almost like some um butterfly effect yeah. type of t- type of moment um but for us it was like kind of de- demoralizing and then you know even with us in like a year after that you know things had kind of improved and kind of totally. things, things things were moving on but obviously with with bleeding through there was this real tra- trajectory you know for you guys and then obviously the next time we toured together was ozfest yep and something you, you brought up before the one thing i kind of noticed is ab- about that kind of time was that i felt like around you know 2002 in that time i felt like me and you were pretty tight yeah and then i felt like 2004 you were so like you. I felt distant. Yeah, I was awful. And, and, I, and <laughs> for I, real, for real, I was fucking awful. And and really, to be honest, like I talk about this even on my podcast. Mentally, I was in a, a really horrible state at the time. I hid my issues from my band, so like nobody knew what the fuck I was going through every day. And um, there was so much pressure on bleeding through at the moment at that time, from like two thousand four through like two thousand eight. In what way? Um, I feel like we were always being pinned against Atreyu and Avenged Sevenfold. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people thought that we should have been right at that level. We were always on Atreyu's coattails, but Avenged was just like gone off to the races. And it's, it was like... That's so, was, weird. that's so weird to me because you guys are like an extreme band. They're not extreme the, and, bands. And that's the thing. And I always thought Bleeding Through was way heavier and almost part of like a different scene altogether at the time. Yeah. It, even from Atreyu, like... Our bands commingle, but it's kind of like when we toured with both my Valentine, it was just different worlds. Yeah. Even though you see similarities, you're like, dude, these people have never heard and these people have never heard. It's just fucked up. I'm, we might as well. You mean that there was a difference between a train and fans and, and, and yeah. both my Valentine? No, and bleeding through. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. what I'm saying. So, well, like, yeah, no, that's it's a different like people. Don't, I don't think people really. Here's what they do is they can say, OK, they're from the same place. Yeah. Okay, they kind of play heavy, heavy music, but so there was a there's this weird, interesting thing. So Atreyu went to record with Eric Rachel at Traxxas yeah. in Jersey. Part a big part of that because they really liked Determination, yeah. the way that album sound. And the and the interesting interesting thing about the production of that album 
is it has really low gain, clean guitar sound. Did you did you record on line sixes? It was that truth. Was that true? Um, it was. I don't actually. They're, yeah, they're like so. It's we're, hard we're gonna, to say. That there we're going to splinter off on stories so bad. No, no. There, so the, <laughs> I can tell you one album that Line Six yeah. is the actual like secret sauce, and that was Constitution of Treason. Okay. On the reamp, we use it, but we used it at in like two two thousand one. That was what we were using live. Yeah. Um, so but, go back to the train. But anyway, so they went to record with uh, Eric Rachel, and because they really liked that record, and so I think part of the reason why they came off in a more mainstream way is that that if you listen to that that first record or maybe it's not their first record the first victory record is that it has this really clean yeah kind of not almost like a rock it's not aggressive sound with this aggressive music so it's very palatable yeah you know so and listen i'm not saying i'm not trying to take credit for that no but no, no but totally. it is but it is this kind of interesting uh line of events as to why they came off so if you went to see them live they sounded a lot heavier yeah. live than they did on that on that first record. And then I think in a way it kind of informed their sound to be like, hey, we can kind of be a, a you know this heavy band that's a little bit more of a gateway band yeah. or something that's maybe going to be not as offensive. You know, but here's the truth. If it's not for Bleeding Through, it's not for um, AT Visions, for Poison the Well, yeah. there is no Atreyu. Yeah. You know, um, and they everything kind of built on on one thing and it's just that's just how it is it's like the way i look at like if there's no glass draw you don't get the used having like no, a platinum absolutely, record you yeah. know or like taking back sunday yeah you know uh become like it and it's just and we kind of get upset that the original band didn't get as big as the band that capitalized off of their uh establishing a sound or a scene but it's just it's just the way it is you totally. can't really there you know there's no justice well, and that's, that a, that's the thing. It's like everybody, the 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 industry was basically trying to pin our bands against each other. And, yeah, and you felt and that. I felt that. And and at that time, um, it was such like a competition I didn't want to be involved with. Mm. And I feel like it was forced upon bleeding through. And it made me think about the stats of things too much yeah. versus enjoy the moment and take in that moment. Between like the years of like 2004, 2008, I just had like the fucking ultimate like tunnel vision. Sound scan. Like I was just, I was just in fucking determination mode all the time. And it sucked because I, people thought I was just like an asshole and I'm, I'm not, I just, I got, I just felt, I I got so sucked in that I, I distanced people away from me because I felt if I let people close and then like a time may come where certain decisions have to be made. I don't want to be like the bad guy, you know yeah. what I mean? And I just saw the industry and I didn't like it the way it was going. And I remember, I remember like uh, that time frame and just being so sucked in. And like, like I said, I was just, it wasn't anything personal to anybody. And I've, I feel, I've apologized plenty of times to people just being like, dude, for a big part of bleeding through when we probably were the most successful, I was the most fucking miserable. Like yeah. I was miserable. Like we would do a sold out show at Chicago house of blues. And then I'd get off stage. And the first text I would have would be from my, our manager going to how, what was the, what was the door today? Uh, fucking what were, what'd you do in merch? Like, what'd you do this? How, like, what were your sound scans? It's like, fuck, how about, how was the show guys? Yeah. Was it a good show? No, it was just numbers, 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 stats, stats, stats. And it fucking sucked us in. It sucked all of us in. Yeah. And we kind of were like a band that like, 
we, we were so mission oriented. And I remember in 2008, we played a show in Manchester and the sellout of the Academy two was like, let's just say 850. It was about 850. I remember before the show, I asked for, for a presale. It's like 840. Okay. 10 off from a sellout. So but it's going to sell out. But I knew that it had to say sell out or we weren't going to be worth this next time we came here and we wouldn't be respected to get this kind of money for this tour. I knew that's the way the industry was. And I remember being like bummed. <laughs> and I remember Brian coming up to me and going like, if this is the way you're going to fucking do this, man, like I'm done. Like we need to remember why the fuck we're here in the, in the beginning and look how far we've come and look at what we've done to get here and think about the journey and all the sacrifice and everything we've done to get here. Fuck 10 people, extra people walking through the door to make yourself feel better. You need those 10 people to make yourself feel vindicated for doing what you fucking love to do, which is getting on that stage and sharing something with someone like with the audience. He's like, I'll go on that Remember, He's like, remember when you used to say, could be five people, could be 500 people, it doesn't matter. You need to believe that. And you need to fucking go and, and appreciate what you've done. And I remember just being like, that was such a sink, sinking in moment for me where I was like, yup, things are changing now for me. And it did. I remember after that show, I told our tour manager, I said, I don't wanna know pre-sales. I told our management, everybody that worked for my band, I don't care about numbers. I don't care what our sound scans were for that week. Stop sending me those fucking emails. I don't care. I want to play this music for the music. And I remember there was a lot of pressure on us at that time to follow up the truth. And everyone thought we were going to go follow the same way of like 18 visions or a you and get more mainstream and do a rock record. And that's what segued into declaration. That's my favorite record. Mine too, because I was like, we're going to go write this fucking record and we're going to do it. Like we just started this band today and we want to fucking write a record that really represents who we are and how we feel at the time. And I remember that, you know, the record starts with like a 300 fucking quote and then it goes into straight up like black metal fucking blast beat. And I remember it just took, I remember playing it for friends and people that like worked for Bleeding Through for the first time and the look on their faces when they're just like, it was like shock and then it was a smile. And it was like, this is Bleeding Through. like going the way of Atreyu and whatever would have just fucking killed your band and that's not you. Yeah, see, I was the exact opposite. I liked the record before The Truth I did, and I didn't like it's Truth as much and then I ran that love totally. fucking declaration. We, Mick and I talk about The Truth all the time and it does have the best songs. It just wasn't... It has the best album cover for it sure. It just wasn't... <laughs> and, 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 and this sick. is really nothing against Rob Caggiano who you and I, you, you dude, know as well. He's dude, the man. Rob, he is the man certain circumstances fucked that record and it just didn't get the 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 love into it that would have made those songs huge yeah and you hear those songs live and you're like that's fucking it, they're so much better live than they are on that record the record just doesn't encapsulate what bleeding through is and that's why but is it still your biggest record? Like sales This is wise? love is this love is murder is our biggest record. Oh, okay, wow. Yeah. The truth is like always on its tail, but Dude, this is love. Apparently, still sells like a hundred a week. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I think for for you guys, I'd almost put you in that same category as a band like uh, Bury Your Dead, where it like in many ways the band has been vindicated 
uh, by, you know, by a band like Winds of Plague having so much success, you know, in like the, uh, the 2010s and then uh, Motionless and White and all these bands kind of. Yeah. Clearly there was a, there's a, a legacy that is not even, it's not even distant. It's like right here, like almost like does something like that. Does that tell you, hey, man, maybe we should have kept going? Or it's like, no, we like kind of put it down at the right time. I feel like we ended what Bleeding Through was at that time at the right time. Yeah. Um, it was just a time for us personally that we just couldn't do what we needed to do anymore. And really it was like, I think it was the right time. But I don't think there's any time that's better than the next like year to try to like, for a band, whether it's bleeding through or whatever to kind of come up again yeah. with the fucking darkness man like the pure <laughs> darkness you know what i'm saying though like there's a lot of bands that look a certain way but don't sound it or sound yeah. a certain way but don't look it. it it's about time for a band to just be like purely like evil again <laughs> well i mean i listen i think in in many ways, I think that's why bands like Code Orange yeah. and Nails are having so much success. Is that even though it might be on a on a underground level to yeah. to a certain degree, that thing that appeals, you know, that kind of nihilistic rage that appeals to an eighteen year old frustrated kid, yeah, th that kid's always going to be there. Totally, you know. Um, you know, whether that's coming from a personal place or kind of like a geopolitical yeah, no, thing that's kind of raining down on you, this kind of, a, you know, psychological warfare of just the times we live in. You know, so that, I think that's always going to exist. And that's always, in a sense, what extreme music is there to yeah. represent. It's not, you know, we, we've kind of, I think the biggest difference is like kind of going back to the early 2000s and the rise of bands like Atreyu and all that and Avenged Sevenfold. And now we live in a world where these bands come out the gate and it's like they have their their uniforms, they have a video, they have an eight like they have merch, they have you know, they like they they kind of come out kind of understanding that there's a um business apparatus yeah. that can be capitalized on. And now with bands like um A Day to Remember, yeah. Bring the Horizon, that the um the ceiling is high. Like you can if you do well in this realm you can actually make a lot of money. You can, and you can, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, and you know, it's one of these things too, where I feel, you know, there's always the argument of like, well, these bands now and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, they're just, they just have more resources. Yeah, they do. I mean, they just, these, the ceiling is fucking set high now. Dude. Yeah. Well, it's just, but in, in a sense though, there's but take comfort in knowing that your band was part of that. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Listen, I, listen, I get it. Every time I go to a show, and I'm sure the same thing for same you, thing. Um, the fact that even like, and this is the thing for me, because I think, you know, just being kind of the mouthpiece of the band and yeah. being kind of out there, you know, like I'll go to a show and like, it'll be the, like the guys who are on stage, I'll get recognized more than the band that's playing. It's, it's weird to me that people like, I, listen, with God forbid, I have no idea how many people love the band or influenced but at least the people that do are very vocal yeah. and very appreciative. So it's it's this thing. I, I every time I'm always like, I'm not saying I'm taken aback, but it's always something where I'm like, you know, I'm like, wow, 
this is kind of crazy that people still kind of give a shit. And, yeah. you know, people always ask, you know, especially me because I'm out here, I'm on social media, I got the show. When are you doing a, a reunion? When you do this? It's like, I, I don't know about any of that, you yeah. know, just because I'm not really focused on it. But, you know, hopefully if something, like, if something like that did happen, you know, it would be cool to have, you know, people give a shit. You know, they will. And, and the truth is, yeah, but the truth is, like, you're telling me about, you know, you guys are selling out this. Like, we never had that peak. You know, like, we never, you know, like, uh, like you know, we, we would do a big show in Jersey and there'd be a thousand people there. You know, or like we could do like 500 people in London yeah. or something like that. Or, you know, randomly, you know, like I said, we could sell out the showcase, yeah. a, you know, a thing here or there. But we're, there was never that peak. Where Sold out tours. And yeah. Shit like, like, like we ne like even though we had the record sales to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, not the huge. Like we never cracked 100,000 like in the States on any record. But we would sell 60, 70, totally. 70,000 records. Um, but so in, in many ways, it's, it's always interesting to to see like the bands who are on that kind of next rung of the ladder, that that inadequacy never goes away, right? Like you're always looking at the next band. That's, yeah, it is, man. And it's like, and that's the thing, like I, I had to step back and like start living in the moment. And like when I talk to bands now that are like, you know, when I went on Warped Tour, it was funny because it was like every time I went or walked around, people were just like, hey, I got this question. And it was always like a deep question. It was like, you know, like, what do you know what what do i need to mentally think about like on a on a day-to-day -day basis out here because i'm struggling just like put myself in it every day and i'm just like make every day make a fucking memory dude yeah and like lock that in and try to like create memories every day because this will end i'm sorry to like burst your bubble but you mean someone who's in like a band I'm talking now. About people that are in bands like yeah. backstage would like stop me and stuff and I would tell him like, this will end one day. And, and whether you don't want to think about that yet or not, but it will, you're not, it's going to end for everybody. You know what I mean? Unless you're the fucking Rolling Stones, which there will never be again. It's just, it's going to end. So at the end of the day, if you don't have anything else other than like memories, it's worth it. And I think people are like taken back by it. They're like, oh, okay, well. I thought he meant like save my money or something like that. I'm like, no, <laughs> create fucking memories and live with it. Because like I said, 2004, 2008, I don't have memories. I was just in fuck everything up mode. That was it. And like, it, it sucked. It Did sucked. you, so you, you talk about these, in a sense, heights of the band mm -hmm. that you couldn't appreciate. Was there an actual uh, visible period where the band started to tail off? You know what? We were really fortunate to never have like an extreme drop off. Yeah. Um, you know, our, our, when we were at our peak, we were at a, a really solid level. Um, I feel like we were a, a generation band to where there was a certain era of like, like, you know, like 2003, 2007, 2008, where this music was, was at a heightened level. It was like, yeah. it was like the golden days, you know what I mean? And so I think it kind of fell off for everybody. And so we kind of knew other bands where it was like numbers were getting smaller together. Like, you know, we would talk to like, yeah, every, scene we shrinking. would talk to every time I die and as they dying, we'd all talk about the same thing. Like our shows are getting a little bit smaller guys. Like what's up? You know, we always had, we were very fortunate to always have solid shows. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like no matter where we played, we would always draw, you know, if it was a 500 cap room, we would draw 
400. If it was like a 300 cap room, we'd draw 300. If it was a thousand cap room, we'd draw about 800. We were never really at like the high level of selling crazy shows out, but we always had a solid fan base. That's good. We man. never lost promoters' money, and that was huge to me. So, like, so, so that wasn't a factor in It like wasn't. In us, in us bailing the band, it was really. I have this business opportunity to start a gym and start another career and start other businesses off it. And I knew what it was going to take fucking 14, 15 hour days yeah. of grinding. You know what I mean? So how does, so how does that, what's the, the difference? And obviously the, there's the mental aspect of that. You know, you had this turning point mm -hmm. where you started to kind of appreciate just the day to day and, and not get wrapped up into the numbers. Um, did you take that new kind of approach and appreciation into the um, gym world? You, yeah, uh, I did. But fuck, man, that's it's it makes the music industry look like a cakewalk, <laughs> like for real. So well, it's probably so, you know, by the time you got involved, like I said, these things are more popularized mm -hmm. and they are more kind of pop culture and and the competition, I'm sure, is insane, right? It is. I mean, we. I feel like I got in at a point where I established myself um, a little bit quicker and before a lot of other people did. So we, as far as my gym goes, is it's like a fabric of the community now. You know what I mean? It's yeah. you know we have a solid membership. It makes good money. Um, the clothing company I did off of it was just a hobby that ended up making more money than the actual what's gym. What's the um? Just what's called the, Rise Above Fitness Apparel. Yeah. So. We just started doing that, and we made a shirt, and it sold, and then we made a couple shirts, and more sold, and it was just like this. Okay, so now you said that's I, doing better than the than the gym. Uh, it does pretty well, yeah. That's awesome. And we sell like everywhere, so I mean, it's and that was a good thing. It one thing has made the other thing makes the other thing run. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like starting to do the clothing line. I learned that from the music industry, so I'm taking all these things. That how does a band get more exposure when they're not there? from the people wearing their shirts at other shows that they may have bought at your show. So I knew that, how am I gonna get the name of my gym out of there, out here? I went, I used to do like weekend boot camp things where I'd meet people from other gyms away and be like, hey, I have a decent social media following. How about I come up there on a Saturday and do like a boot camp for free for your members and anybody else that wants to come to your gym. I kind of treated it like a tour. I went to Australia and I did like a boot camp tour where I literally did, I went to eight different spots in Australia, I had a, I had a, a, a tour manager on the tour. Like it was a tour, man. So and I literally showed up at a, a gym instead of a venue and people bought tickets to go work out with me and have me talk about fitness. So, but are these fans, like, are, are, is this kind of from the umbrella it's of It's your transcended past the band. It first started with the band where I would get like some people from the band that it definitely helped me. Yeah. But I mean, Fuck, man. Now I'd say 90% of my actual clients, like, that I personally trained, don't even know I was yeah. ever in a band. Well, I think, well, the thing that's interesting, I guess, especially when it comes to Instagram. Yeah. Is that, you know, as, and this is as just someone just purely as a spectator, you see that there are, like, these kind of fitness celebrities. Mm hmm You know, and, I, you know, I don't, and I don't know your, your ranking <laughs> Uh, in the uh, the the Instagram, I'm like a, I'm like a D-list fitness celebrity. <laughs> no, but 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 that kind of creating a following, totally. You know where, okay, you know, and you, I think you kind of even early on, I noticed just the way you would engage I saw social the, media. Like, I, I saw could, the potential in the fitness industry, and that's why I, I literally said, I'm like, dude, I feel like there's a major need for someone like me, and so that's why I kind of introduced like our whole like. Like our biggest selling t-shirt is heavy music, heavy lifting. Yeah. And it's really just like, we're fusing 
the music community with fitness and like you see people buying our shirts and wearing them. I see them at shows. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. And it's like, well, it's a culture. Yeah, totally. And that's what I, and that's why I was like, you know what fitness, there is fitness celebrities, but none of them have their culture. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll try to boost my fitness celebrityism a little bit, but I, I definitely want it to become a culture, not just me. I want the whole thing to be like to work, you know? Yeah. And so that's kind of the attitude I took, I took with it was I'm gonna try to do this like I'm fucking starting a band. And it it worked. Well, so that's really what what happened with Bleeding Through is like, I had to do it. And at the at the moment, the make or break moment for me was we had a whole tour, we had direct support for, I know people are like, oh my God. We had direct support for Parkway Drive in Australia. It's a good tour. Big tour, okay. Bleeding Through was already pretty large in Australia. Um, we went over there a ton and had a really good following. So it would have been, I mean, Parkwood Drive alone sells out like 5,000 to 8,000 cap places, but it would have been really good for bleeding through. And I pulled out of the tour because I had an opportunity to open my own facility. And I was like, I can't pass this up. I would expect everybody in bleeding through at our age and the, where we are with the band in our career to take the same opportunity that I'm having right now. And so you had like an outside investor. I had a person that was willing to help me get my shit. Going. And it was time sensitive. It was very time sensitive. It was like, I, we need to meet this week. Okay. And I'm like, well, f or fuck like that week. I'm supposed to be on a plane to Australia. And it's so like, it was booked and you had to cancel. We had to cancel the wow. tour, which bummed them out. And we feel really, Sorry about it, but it's just, it was like a, it was a make or break moment for me in my life. And, you know, shortly thereafter, Marta moved up to Northern California. Um, she's now married to Phil from Machine Head. Yep. Um, and Much she, love to the, shout out to yeah, those man. guys. She wanted to have kids and they have, a, they have a beautiful son now. And, you know, Derek, our drummer lived far away at the moment at the time and he has two kids and please tell me Derek lives in the Pacific Northwest. I just, no, want, I just he, want to see him chopping down yeah, trees and he actually in a lives in a place called 29 Palms where I don't, I think trees are actually outlawed. See, so, so he lives in like the Derek. desert, but, All right. he, he, but he like breaks rocks with his bare hands. How about I, that? I believe that I believe that sounds, that sounds uh, feasible. And then Brian left the tour life a long time ago to pursue career and family. And, and, uh, Ryan, Ryan's the one lifer in bleeding through and yeah. Scott, um, but yeah, we Scott, just, because Ryan's in, in Devil You Know. Yeah, and Scott does his bands, and you know, Scott's just a lifer. He just fucking, yeah. this is what, this is it. Yeah, but. it's, listen, it's it's that uh, that whole Godfather 3, yeah. you know what I'm saying? I tried to get out, and they pulled me they pulled back, me back in. in. And that's the thing, like, so in 2013, where I'm like, dude, let's just do these tours. And what I told people on the tour every night was like, this may not be the end. We don't know, but we're playing Lubbock, Texas tonight. Because if this band ever does do another something, we'll probably never play Lubbock, Texas again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Because we're not going to be able to tour if we ever did it. And it's it, was a way, it was a way that I felt we had such a personal connection to a lot of people. And I think that's why our shows stayed consistent through our career. That it was important for us to do those tours, to say goodbye to people, to fans like in places like Lubbock where we would draw fucking 500 people in Lubbock, you know? And it's like, what? Like no one did that. Like there, we like it was. And so we wanted to go to those places just to be like, we're here to say thank you for making this incredible dream happen for us. And 
this isn't buy forever. This is buy for now. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of how we left it. I think that's I think that's pretty awesome. You know, like, God forbid, didn't get a chance to kind of put a bow on anything. Yeah. It was uh, very abrupt and very, um, you know, there's there's certainly no emotional resolution. Yeah. You know, and uh, maybe that'll be rectified at some point. But that's that's really great to hear. I also feel like there's this thing with hardcore scene bands that they never really break up. It's they like don't. A, there's always a like a benefit show. And that's the and thing. Always, we actually got back together yeah, a year later to do a benefit show for, or two years later to do a benefit show for um, Ghost Inside. And uh, and it's like, yeah. And we played that show. And I remember like dudes that were at the show and that worked for the band for years and even us afterwards. And I'm just like, dude. We were fucking awesome. <laughs> like, literally, I'm like, we were fucking good. Like, straight up good. And it felt so good. It really did. And I remember, like, just being like, we just kind of looked at each other and we're like, let's talk in a year. So, you, know it. I mean? you got it in your back pocket if yeah, you ever, you you ever want to. Well, so, but um, I don't want to talk to tear off, talk your ear off too much. Yep. But before I go, I just want to talk about two things. One, you have a podcast. I do. All right, so what's what's your podcast called? It's called Negatively Positive. And it started what? it started off as just Brandon Chappetti's podcast, but I mean honestly, like my name is such a uh, mouthful. So, Negatively Positive, and it's really, um, I, I call it Negatively Positive because that's really how I am. Yeah, I'm like the most positive, like piss and vinegar person on the planet. Um, that's kind of how I feel like Bleeding Through was like a negative band with a solid good ending, um, but. I talk about a lot of fitness and a lot of people ask me like fitness questions and, uh, but you have guests or it's just I you? do have guests, um, once in a while. Um, I, I like to get fitness and music people cause I talk about both a lot and I talk about lifestyle and mental health and stuff like that and what people can do if they're struggling with something. And really the shows are dictated by questions by people though. Mm -hmm. So I'll ask like, you know, drop me some questions in my comments and I'll get to as many as I can. And I, cause I used to do like Q and A's on Reddit all the time. And um, I decided to just do the podcast and I've interviewed some cool people, man. But lately I've just been going solo with it. Yeah. I've just been going on these like 50 minute rants. I just did my first, my first uh, Q and A. Sometimes it's good for your soul to it's just fun. talk shit in a yeah. room by yourself. <laughs> well, the funny thing is I think that's, you gotta remember that's a skill. Not yeah. everyone. Some people like just don't feel comfortable yeah. doing that. And I've, you know, with with my podcast, I'll essentially I'll have a you know a, a discussion like this, but then I also have kind of a preamble yeah. where I kind of talk about what's going on. And depending on what's going on, I've I've, I've been get, give, getting a little more out there, letting the tape run a little bit more, yeah. and just just kind of go for it. Um, but it is this it's it's a very weird thing to kind of talk to yourself in a room. It is. That's why <laughs> I kind of do like the, the the questions thing. But you know, it's the whole reason I even another reason why I started even doing podcasts is because. Um, I'm a weirdo and I listen to like AM sports radio. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm a fucking huge, just everything jock, but, uh, I would love to have my own sports show. Yeah. Like I would absolutely love it because I'm knowledgeable enough and I do enough research and I love when people ask sports questions because, and I think it takes them back a little bit when they do, because I'll give you like a 10 minute answer on like a, a short question if it has to do with sports what's your I, what's your, are you a general sports or you have your teams i mean i have my teams but I, I pay attention enough to baseball and football to know a lot 
We'll get on it, man. Listen, I I, <laughs> I got to, I uh, ran into a, a God forbid fan on Twitter yeah. who's actually the Minnesota Timberwolves ESPN beat guy. Oh, nice. So I got to go on their podcast and talk talk NBA, and I I have a couple guys, a couple of my good friends that. We actually, we'd like to just do like an NBA podcast at some point if we can get be uh, cool. Benny from uh, at Gaslight Anthem to get his uh, his his mic f- working. Um, but but no, man, it's listen, man. Here's here's what I've I've noticed. Just like you with the with working out and turning that into a career is just follow your passion. Totally. And, and me, you know, the, you know, and this is you know, especially before the podcast when it came to writing. I would just write about. At a certain point, I was writing about music, and then then uh, metal sucks. Like, yeah, you. Uh, I was like, hey, you guys want someone to write about the NBA? So I started writing about that. Yeah. Then I started my own blog, and I do a something about race, or then I do something about politics or yeah. whatever. And it's just like, if it's in you and you and you want to express yourself, do it. Don't yeah. you know who, who who gives a damn? And one last thing before I let you go. So sure. you also have a a new ish band. Uh, the Iron, the Iron Sun. Sun. Yeah. And uh, it's funny, I was listening to it last night, and it was, I thought it was going to be, like, I, for some reason I was expecting like a more straightforward hardcore band, but it's not that much different stylistically than Bleeding Through. I think it's a, it carries a little bit more of, like, a, like, I'm really mad vibe. <laughs> I've never heard you not be mad. I I'm, feel, I'm still waiting for that. Yeah, I feel like it's, uh, <laughs> I feel like it's, the vibe, the vibe where it's different, I kind of just feel like it's, Someone kind of brought it up in a, in a in a way that I've never heard before. Bleeding through is more like a romantic band. Okay. And I'm trying to think about them. romantic. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? But then I'm thinking about it and I'm all. I mean, yeah. I mean, we sing like it's like love songs and shit. And the Iron Sun's just about like people I don't like. Yeah. So it's hard. It's hard <clears throat> for sure. And you know, I really did it. I actually did it with with Mick, who's sitting right over here. Um, and we really—I mean, I really just did it to to, to fucking do music. Yeah. Because I'm like, fuck, I still, I still have got to that do thing. something. Yeah. And I have to see like I could still do this, and so I mean, we do that. We played some shows, and we we played our first headliner, and it went really well. Like there was a lot of fucking people, and I'm like, wow, this is crazy. Like people still care. People care. <laughs> this is awesome for a band that's just like occasionally plays, and we put we self-release the record, and it it sold pretty well for. The limited area you can buy the record yeah but i mean you can get it on itunes so fuck i mean if you haven't heard it go buy it or honestly just there's apple music and spotify and it's however you listen to it listen to it all right so how can uh we're gonna wrap this up so how, how can people find you online if they want to talk get into any of your new music or if you your, really want to know like, above if you want to kind of wormhole the best place to start is probably my instagram just at Brandon Schipetti. So you just look up the last name, but it's B-R-A-N-D-A-N-S-C-H-I-E-P-P-A-T-I. Yeah. So you could look that up and, uh, or you, yeah, you could Google bleeding through. Um, but really, I, cause I talked about fitness. There's, is that, there's also at rise above fitness. Um, and you can kind of wormhole to all my other shit for the yeah. Cause I, on my personal one, I kind of, I promote all of it. Right on. Well, yeah, man. Thank you so much for coming Thank on, Thank you. Man. Appreciate it's been it. awesome. War is in your blood. When you're pushed, killing's as easy as breathing.
hell and believe it or not that's not bleeding through that is brandon's new band the iron sun and that is from the album enemy and you should definitely check it out it's some it's some very very heavy and aggressive stuff and uh yeah that dude that dude's got got a set of fucking pipes on him anyway Huge thanks to Brandon. Thank to thank you to you guys for supporting the show. Please go to iTunes uh, if you can. Uh, subscribe, rate the show, leave a comment. If you want to sponsor the show, get your song played on here and expose it to the X Man audience. You can email me at the X Man Podcast at gmail.com. And also another thing, I did a little quick little redesign on my website. Uh, .coil.net and if you go to that front page a pop-up will come up and you can get on the .coil mailing list and this will have updates on the podcast any articles I'm working on or any updates with my musical projects so yeah check it out I hope you guys like it and uh, thanks again to everybody for for the support thanks again to Jabberjaw Media my uh, podcast network and yeah let's have a great week See you guys later. Mamba out.
This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob Podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out.